Hi everyone, Matthew here. Welcome to this bonus episode of Pop Culturally Deprived. We have something slightly different for you this week. Mandy's off on a cruise somewhere, so in my headcanon for her trip, she's drinking rum and trying to parlay with everyone. We mentioned on our episode 4, Farscape Season 1, that we had recorded an episode about Parks and Recreation's pilot. However, for a couple of reasons, we decided not to release it. Mostly, I'm super ill in this episode, so I'd taken a lot of medication to get through it and ended up a little free-spirited. The format also doesn't work quite as we hoped it would, so that's why we're now doing whole seasons at a time, which we started with Farscape. You can ignore the episode number and the setup that we do for the following show. This was recorded way back in January. But we'll be back next week with our thoughts on Farscape Season 3, and I dare say we will return to Parks and Rec at some point in the future, because it is a great show. Do also make sure you stick around at the end for a little surprise. So whilst we have a break, I hope you will enjoy this bonus episode of Pop Culturally Deprived, Parks and Recreation Pilot. Welcome to the show. This is episode number 12 of Pop Culturally Deprived, and today we're going to be talking about parks and recreation on your Pinky Promise podcast. Hi, Mandy. It should be a good conversation. I think uh, having been born and raised in the south of England, I am the perfect person to speak about local government in America. Oh, of course. <laughs> Everybody's an expert. We're doing something a little bit different with TV shows on Pop Culturally Deprived. There are currently more than a dozen shows on the giant list of things Mandy hasn't seen, and to watch all of them would be approximately 2,000 episodes of TV. And that doesn't even include the movies, miniseries, and other materials that would be involved. Now, of course, a lot of those are classic Who, which is 827 episodes, but even without that, we're still talking about more than 100 episodes per series. And that's going to be a lot of time to have to commit to watch all of these. And it also means you have to watch series nine, uh, season 9 of The X-Files, which no one wants to do. Well, I might. You never know. <laughs> no, you don't. I don't know. I haven't seen it. <laughs> Just trust me. And there's a second X-Files film. And, oh, God, it's terrible. That's not so, what we're here to talk about, but I could. So, oh. <laughs> so... Because there's so much going on, we're going to just look at the pilots for these shows. I'm going to watch the first episode made to promote each series. Matthew and I will discuss it and with some of the thematic and character conversations we normally have, but we'll pay a lot of attention to the future, what in the show could be interesting and where there might be potential. Matthew and any guests that we have will also talk about how the show develops and when it becomes the show that everyone loves it for. As always... We will try to avoid spoilers for things that happen in the future. If a show particularly stands out, I may start watching it regularly and we'll put it into the regular podcast cycle. So hopefully at the end of today, we've got about two and a half thousand minutes of Parks and Rec you'll go away and watch. And then we'll have another conversation. (laughs) We'll see. (laughs) Spoilers. Mandy's a bit mixed on this one. (laughs) We'll see. I thought it would be good to talk about the history of pilots a bit. If we're, if we're going to keep referring to them and talking about how shows get developed, uh, it might be worth giving us a background for everyone to work from. 
the concept of a pilot, it's shifted somewhat over the years. Uh, traditionally, it would be an episode of a show that's actually made t- to sell it to a network or a TV station. The episode's written, it's cast, it's shot, and then that, that demo effectively gets shopped around to until the show is broadcast. And the, the company broadcasting it will fund the development of further episodes, the writing of future scripts, and they'll probably give feedback and maybe request some changes. Historically, the pilot wasn't shown to the viewing audience. Uh, it was very much a, a demo. A really good example of this is Star Trek, the original series. It's going to lead to a few interesting decisions when we have to watch that one because the original pilot wasn't well received uh, by the network. But the idea of the show was the, the wagon train to the stars idea. So they gave lots of feedback and a second fee- second pilot was developed which had almost an entirely new cast. Only two of the actors were kept on. It had a new plot, a new captain, a new first officer. Spock's makeup was quite different. And then the second pilot was good enough to go to a full season. Um, and eventually, the original pilot was then used to flesh out a future episode that they then cut it into and, and built another episode from because they'd already filmed it. In modern times, uh, the series is usually pitched around an outline to a network. So they might request a full pilot script, but the show itself is not actually made. Uh, there's a process of writing, submitting the pilot script. Um, if the pilot script gets picked up, they then cast it, they then shoot it. And if it's well liked by all the different levels of the, the broadcaster, then congratulations, you get your series order and you get to make more episodes of your show. The pilot is these days quite often shown to the audience. Uh, it serves as an introduction to the world and the characters, so it might not have so much uh, story going on as you'd expect from a normal episode, but it does all that setup work. Assuming the network who are paying for your amazing project, they've not asked you to change names of characters and genders and relationships. They, they haven't asked your show to suddenly become a police procedural because that's the one show they're missing off their lineup. The model does continually evolve. Uh, recently, the market's been dominated by content providers who don't use the traditional pilot or network model. Netflix, Amazon, Sony, um, and lots of other companies, they're prepared to fund a whole season at once. So they produce 10 or more episodes before putting anything out to the public. Game of Thrones, Orange is the New Black, uh, Transparent, they're all examples of this, shows that have been hugely successful, but have been developed even before they're shown. The term pilot, it's used because we use it in the same way when we talk about pilot studies. So when you trial an initiative or change uh, in a circumstance before making it a much more widespread change or, or apply it to a larger activity. That's actually interesting to know. I, I never really knew where it came from. In my brain, the word pilot just means the first thing. <laughs> yeah, we, we we do a lot of work when we make a change to uh, something we're running for customers. So we'll, we'll pick, you know, maybe a course or a, a system and make one change, see how it's received. And then if it goes well, we give it to everyone. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, Parks and Recreation's pilot first aired on April 9th, 2009. The show was a multi-camera sitcom filmed in the mockumentary style that had been so successful on The Office and Arrested Development, which coincidentally is on my list of shows to watch. Created by Greg Daniels and Michael Shore, it was initially planned as a spin-off from The Office, which they had created together, but they quickly realized it would work better as a separate show using the same style. The show languished in development for a period until Amy Poehler was found to play the lead character and the core concept of the optimistic bureaucrat and small-town government was established. 
Like The Office, Parks and Rec received mixed reviews during its first season, but a course correction to the format and tone led to critical acclaim from season two onwards. It ran for seven seasons, and the last season actually jumps into the crazy science fictional future of 2017, with the finale airing on February 24th, 2015. There was a really good quote from uh, one of the actors in the series, the comedian Retta. She talked about filming the first series, uh, first season, and she said that it was really stressful for everyone because they kept getting these bad reviews, and they were certain it was going to be cancelled, and they were waiting for it to, to uh, be cancelled. But then, uh, apparently, the success of The Office, which had also sort of gr- not gone well for the first season or two, and then had grown and developed into a, quite a success, helped them to get that second season. I feel like that's common with shows particularly with sitcom style shows yeah very much you need to give them time to uh for everyone to warm up to it but that that course correction and that change to uh some of the tone really helps and it's really apparent as soon as you get into the second season suddenly uh, e- even the the opening to the first episode of season two is probably funnier than anything in season one i would be interested in seeing that considering i've only seen the 21 minute pilot and yeah, I based on just those 21 minutes, it's hard for me to understand why it was so critically acclaimed. Yeah, I can understand that. <laughs> Amy Poehler was nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding Lead Actress in six of the seven seasons, but did not win any. She did receive a Golden Globe in 2014. The show also received four Emmy nominations for Outstanding Comedy Series or Outstanding Writing. Uh, there's a really good moment in Amy Poehler's autobiography memoirs uh, where she talks about being nominated for these things. And she always assumed she wouldn't win because, you know, she's uh, the sort of person who bigs up all the people around her who are nominated. Um, and she just keeps coming up with these ideas of how she's going to celebrate the other people and what she's going to do for them. Uh, and eventually she gets them all to go up on stage and stand with her as though it's like a beauty pageant or something. And I think that might be the one time that she won at the Golden Globes where she's on stage just having fun with all these sort of gal pals, and suddenly she wins and has to go and give a speech that she didn't expect to. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually really great. She's a very happy, nice person. She seems to be, from what I've seen, her in. Mm. I mostly just know her as Tina Fey's sidekick, so... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I never watched this one for a reason slightly different from why I never watched things before. It it wasn't because I just didn't choose to or didn't want to. In the U.S., analog television actually switched to digital television in 2009, which is the same year Parks and Rec debuted. That meant that in order to watch regular broadcast television, you either had to have cable, satellite, or a shiny new digital converter box, or a really expensive brand new digital television. I had none of the above, so if it wasn't on Netflix, I wasn't watching it. So Netflix, as I think about it now, is this uh, you know great service that has most movies or TV shows that you might want to think of, and you can get it on your phone and your iPad and your computer and your Xbox and your TV and your fridge and washing machine. But in 2009, what did Netflix look like? What Was it still the disk service? Could you stream stuff? It had split, if I remember correctly, it had split at that point. So you could either do the DVDs or the streaming. And I would have just been doing the streaming. And there was much less content on Netflix at that period. But there Mm. were still seasons of television shows. Things like Buffy and Angel. You know, shows that I (laughs) liked that I had already seen and didn't mind rewatching. There were also a lot of movies Not generally big blockbuster movies, but some made-for-television movies, a lot of kids' movies and things like that. 
but it was still the best place for me to find entertainment when I didn't have access to cable or satellite or anything like that. And were you streaming on like a laptop, a giant cathode ray tube TV? (laughs) It would have been a laptop. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't have a shiny, you know, Google TV at that point. I don't even know if they had Google TVs at that point. I'm sure they did (laughs) because Roku had to have been out around that time, right? Pass? I don't know. Yeah, I got my I, I got my current TV in 2009, and it it doesn't have any of the smart features, but it's got loads of plugs so you can put a Roku and a Chromecast and stuff in it. Okay, so basically 2009 was the Stone Ages, and <laughs> <laughs> there we are. <laughs> How could you live? Surely everything was in black and white then. <laughs> <laughs> close enough. Close enough. Watched a lot of fuzzy snow on the TV when I couldn't actually get channels anymore. Could could you watch anything? Was it just it was coded now, or there was just no signal coming through? You couldn't. There was no signal coming through. Um, analog just went away, and so your television had to be able to pick up the digital signal. And analog TVs didn't have. I mean, they physically couldn't do it, which is why mm. you had to buy a digital converter box. Okay. And and so a lot of people did have those digital converter boxes. I mean, you could go to Best Buy and buy them. And they gave you plenty of warning, you know, months and months leading up, letting you know, hey, on this day, you're going to have to change. Um, And then it was after that or right around the same time where the brand new televisions that were coming out did not need the converter box anymore. But televisions were still super expensive back then. Fair enough. You can get a television. You can get a decent sized television for like 130 bucks now. And that was unheard of in 2009. Hmm. Terrific. Okay, so getting into the show itself, what were your uh, expectations and your experience of Parks and Rec before watching? My gut tells me this is a stupid television show. (laughs) That doesn't mean it's a bad show, just a stupid one. And when I say stupid, I mean a show like The Office. The Office is deeply stupid to me, but I love it. (laughs) What, What does stupid mean? Very unrealistic, even though it's trying to be mundane. So when you watch The Office, every episode is basically a day in the work life of these characters. And so that's mundane. But it is so overly melodramatic that these things don't actually happen to people. There aren't actually people like Dwight in the world. Okay. There aren't bosses like Michael in the world. And so to me, it just reads as completely stupid, even though I like it. And to me, Parks and Rec seems to be basically, especially after watching the pilot, it seems to be basically the same show, or at least going for the same tone, the same feeling, and that sort of thing. And so I don't know if I will like it. Okay, so everyone's uh, sort of personality is dialed up to 10. Uh, No one has any common sense, that kind of thing. Yes. Got it. Okay. Amy Poehler is the big star. She's the the draw to this. She was big on uh, a few other things. But what was your experience of her before and after? I really hadn't had tons of experience with Amy Poehler. Like I said before, really, to me, she's just Tina Fey's sidekick. I was never an SNL fan. I didn't even know what Saturday Night Live was when I was in high school. Remember, I had a sheltered childhood, which is why we're doing this podcast. (laughs) So I didn't discover Saturday Night Live until well after the Tina Fey and Will Ferrell years and all of that stuff. And so my experience is really in just clips, YouTube clips and things like that. And so Amy Poehler was never really on my radar. And then the few things I've seen her in are more of those stupid humor 
comedy films like Mean Girls or Blades of Glory. Okay. And I've not watched Dirty Rock. So Amy Poehler is the big star of that duet for me, that duo. Really? That's interesting. Because mm. for me, Tina Fey is, is the big one. But I watched 30 Rock after it was canceled. I, I, it was on Netflix, and I streamed the whole thing. But then, of course, she she was already off Saturday Night Live at the time of the 2008 elections. Um, but she did the skits of Sarah Palin, and so that's really mm. when Tina Fey got put on my radar. Okay. And then I just adored her at that point and then started watching other things that, that she had been in. And so for me, Tina Fey's the star and Amy Poehler's the sidekick. And I guess for you, it's the opposite. Yeah. Tina Fey, I, I know of obviously for the Sarah Palin thing as well. And you know, Mean Girls is one of the great uh, movies of its kind. But Amy Poehler, just having seen this and, and a number of other things she's in. Yeah, she's the one who stands out. In the same way, I haven't seen 30 Rock. I haven't seen the American Office either. I watched the UK office uh, a few years after it came out. When it was first on, I was working in an office at the time, and everyone said it was very like it, but uh, it's not my kind of humour. And I was young and suddenly had money, so I wasn't staying and watching TV. I've watched it since, and I find it hard to watch. It reminds me of a lot of things like Frasier. Just you want to sit there with a cushion in front of your face because it's so embarrassing, uh, and I struggle with TV uh-huh. like that. Okay. Yeah. Um, so when you reference things like Dwight and Michael and Jim and Pan... Jim and Pam. I know what you mean and who you're talking about, but I, I don't know some of the, the intense details. I mean, I really did like The Office. It took me a little while to get into it because it is that really terrible, stupid humor. But when I did get into it, I absolutely loved it. I got really invested in the characters. Hmm. So I'm kind of hoping that something similar could happen with Parks and Rec. Okay. I just don't Yeah, everyone, everyone says The Office develops after the first few seasons and it, and it really becomes unmissable TV, but just never started it. Maybe we will one day. And I, I can't think of anyone who's in it, except for Steve Carell, who, who you know, I would have seen in other things. You haven't seen John Krasinski in anything else? Because he started doing in movies and stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, why are you going to put me on the spot? Okay, we don't have to talk about this. But then the British office does have Martin Freeman. See, and I didn't know that. The only person that I know of who was in the British office is the main guy, and I can't pronounce his last name. Ricky Gervais. Yes, Ricky Gervais. Yeah. But that's Tom. mainly because he's a very prominent atheist comedian and so mm. i i know more about him from that than i okay. do from him being on the office yeah yeah the a lot of the other actors you see in the background of things the uh office team leader the sort of second in charge uh, he is in pirates of the caribbean movies and he's in a few sort of british indie films so another one you see pop up every so often probably like some of the characters in american office right although Catherine tate was in the american office was she? She was. Well, that's something. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Yay, we import all the best. You know, Ricky Gervais and Catherine Tate. Woof. Okay, so we've talked a lot about other shows, things we watched, things we really enjoyed, things that made us laugh, that actually had proper comedy in them. So let's get into the pilot episode of Parks and Recreation. It's only 21 minutes. What did you think of that 21 minutes? It was definitely 21 minutes. That is definitely the best way to describe it (laughs) it's really all i've got because (laughs) i just don't know i'm in a place right now where i feel like this should be a show that i absolutely love i mean just looking at the cast alone with amy poehler chris pratt rashida jones the guy who plays tom (laughs) the guy yes i cannot pronounce his name aziz ansari 
and Nick Offerman. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, this is a phenomenal cast. I know things that all of these people have done outside of this show. Aubrey Plaza, I don't know anything that she's done besides this show, but I know she's very famous on the internet, so I'm familiar with her too. And so I just feel like this should be a show that I absolutely love. But I did not absolutely love these 21 minutes. No. So I'm in this kind of weird in-between place, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it's quite fascinating that the pilot isn't funny. I mean, there's moments in there where there's a comedic idea. You know, it opens with her interviewing a small child about how much fun they're having in the sandpit. She oversells how big the community meeting's going to be, and she's really awkward around Mark. But it, it just doesn't land. No, it doesn't land at all. It It makes me... Because it's the introduction to her character, it it makes her kind of unlikable, which is really a terrible thing to say when she is so optimistic and she doesn't stop smiling the entire 21 minutes. Mm. There were two lines in it that really stood out to me watching this eight years later on. There's one where she talks about City Hall being like a locker room. And the other one about, this is a great time for women in politics. Hillary Clinton, Sarah Palin, Nancy Pelosi, me. Would you watch a show now? in 2017, in the current climate, uh, about political optimism. If that show was The West Wing, absolutely. The West Wing as The West Wing is now? (laughs) Or an optimistic West Wing with people getting stuff done? (laughs) I think The West Wing as it was, was optimistic about people getting stuff done. Okay. So I would either take, let's just re-air The West Wing from start to finish, or let's reboot it, but let's have the entire same cast. And Aaron Sorkin has to write it. West Wing reboot. Uh, Charlie is something significant in it because he was the one I always wanted to see more of. I mean, I love all the characters, but... CJ Craig is my spirit animal, so I definitely want to see more of what she's doing. <laughs> but that really has nothing to do with Parks and Rec other than... Yeah, we're getting off topic slightly, again, aren't we? Politically... Um... <laughs> Yeah. There, there was a, a line, so um, for full background for everyone, I watched the pilot episode to get ready for this, and I didn't laugh. I made a few notes going, hey, look at that actor, and this is where they got started. Great. But I was quite surprised at how it wasn't funny like I remember, remember it being. So I went back and watched uh, the first episode of season two, and the opening of, of the first episode of season two is, let's say, it's even funnier than the whole of the pilot put together. Um, and there's a lot of good stuff in there. And then I went on and watched all of season two because it's just funny and good. And there is a, a quote in episode five that I wanted to read out because it, it sort of changes the way you might watch it these days. The, Hang on. I, on. I just want to clarify something. You watched the pilot and then you skipped all of season one and watched season two. Uh, is that what I'm understanding? In, initially, yes. I watched the pilot. I watched S2E1. I then watched the rest of season one. Then I watched the rest of season two. Okay. And because I know how much you enjoy this, and this is the most fun way to do these things, I might watch like season six next, but in reverse <laughs> order. <laughs> no, you How does won't. that sound? We should do that and podcast it. See, so go back in time like Merlin. <laughs> no. No, we either watch it all in order or we don't watch it at all. <laughs> anyway. Season 2, Episode 5, Sister City, they have a visit from the Parks and Rec Department of their sister city in Venezuela. And these people are terrible, they're awful, they insult the town, they insult the women, they insult everyone's jobs. They're pretty terrible. 
And uh, Leslie, addressing the, car- the camera at one point, she says, I'm a diplomat. Um, I'm not here to be to take, take the insult. I'm just here to uh, welcome these people to the city. And the next quote is, I mean, that's why people respect Hillary Clinton so much. Because nobody takes a punch like her. She's the strongest, smartest punching bag in the world. Oh, that was way before its time. Yeah. Could you watch a show that talks about things like that now? Oh. Yeah. It would hurt my heart. I mean, that's... Yeah, that would just hurt my heart. That's as on point as as Rob Lowe talking about information security or CJ Craig talking about guns. Oof. Right. Yeah. I think if it's done really, really well and kind of in a way where you're kind of looking at the camera and going wink, wink, because you know this is so super relevant to the world, mm. then I think it, it it could work today. It's just going to be a little painful. Okay. So I've watched uh, on quite a bit because one of the other things I wanted to know was at what point does this turn into my Parks and Rec, you know, the Parks and Rec that I remember that I really enjoyed for a number of years. Season one, as you say, she's a bit of an awful person. Or she's not the most likable of people. And that really reminds me of um, the characters from The Office, certainly in the UK and what I know of them in the US version, because um, it's about them not quite fitting or not quite being capable or anything like that. And there's, there's a lot of that in season one. And then as you said up top, season two has this course correction. Suddenly it's a, a quite a different show. And it only takes about 11 episodes of season two before we're basically at Parks and Rec. You know, the show that, that I remember it for, where we've got uh, main characters that have all been introduced. We've got some of the main themes established. Characters have been developed to, ha- to have their um, personalities and their likes and their foibles that you, you expect to remember them for. There's still uh, characters in it who we won't see again. There's characters who haven't yet been introduced, but the sort of core set of people, they're all there. Um, and we've even done some of the backstories that uh, are so memorable from the show. So you're saying... Your actual words were, it's only 11 episodes into the second season yep. before we get to the good Parks and Rec. Yes. That's a lot of episodes. All of season one, which I know season one was a shorter season, but 11 episodes into a new season, I mean, that's three months of television. Yeah. That's a long time to wait to get to something good. And to be fair, season two is at least funny. So even if it's not, you, you go, okay, it's not quite the show, or that character's not doing what, quite what I expect of them, you're still getting some good gags from them. I'm just going to have to take your word for it, since the pilot wasn't funny. The good thing is, I keep referencing 21 minutes, that's about six hours. So six hours, um, and then you're there. <laughs> how many episodes of Buffy, how many minutes of Buffy does it take before Buffy is a really good show? Oh, that's long. Oh. No, <laughs> one minute for Buffy to be a really good show. <laughs> I will defend Buffy until the day that I die. The opening power chord of the the intro song. Absolutely. <laughs> What's quite interesting, looking at uh, series one again uh, and going back to the pilot, is there are two two main characters who are in every episode of season one. They're even in the the opening scene after the the opening credits. They don't get a line. No, in fact, one of them doesn't get a line. One of them gets a scene with maybe two lines, but that's about it. But they're in every single episode. And then it's even a few episodes into season two before they really introduce them and start fleshing them out a bit more. It makes me a bit worried that they, they cut uh, lots of their lines and lots of stuff from them in during season one. And they kept thinking, well, what's the point of me even doing this? I honestly can't 
speak to that because, you know, I haven't seen beyond the first 21 minutes, but I wonder if they were never intended to be characters. They were just there to be fillers so that there would be people in this office. And the more they worked with them, the more they realized they would make really great characters. And that's when they started fleshing them out. Is that a possibility? Possibly so. I I read comments about they weren't sure quite what to do with them, so they were just keeping them there just to make sure it was filling a space. But you're right, why why did they not then get someone that they'd written better for, that they actually had an idea of what they want to do with that character? Because it ends up, um, admittedly most characters in the show, it ends up being more the actor's personalities brought into it than what they write for the character. Okay. Yeah. Aziz Ansari. Um, in fact, Tom Haverford, he might be a, a good example to start with. This first pilot episode, he's a little bit awful. A little bit awful? Yeah. <laughs> the the phone conversation he has with the, the mayor, and we don't know that that is the mayor, so I'm putting it in inverted commas. Um, I thought it was pretty obvious that it wasn't the mayor. Mm. Well. Maybe, did, did I just make that up? Having seen more of it, and I, I can't remember that we ever actually meet the mayor, but everyone in the town is a little bit awful. So, you know, it it doesn't st- uh, it doesn't give a good view of the government of Pawnee in the Indiana. Okay. So there's always a chance it could be. Why do I keep watching things full of terrible human beings? Uh, because your taste previously made you not watch them. <laughs> I don't know. And again, this is a really funny show to watch it for because they Tom Haverford becomes. Uh, do you know Aziz Ansari? Have you seen his, his new show or anything he's done? His stand-up? No, I, I just know he's super famous. He's, yeah, that's he's all, that's all I know. 5'6 and just fun and a little bit silly. Um, and he, he seems to bounce around a bit like a you know a little puppy or something. Everything okay. I see him do, that's that's kind of what he brings to it. But yeah, Tom is not set up to be that character. But eventually, yeah, that's basically what he becomes. And, Interesting. And it fits better. He can play it better. He can do the gags for it better. Okay. As of right now, I absolutely hate Tom. So, <laughs> are, are there any other uh, themes or relationships or stories that you can see being played out from from this pilot episode? Well, I feel like it just has to get better. <laughs> it has to because it was so well loved. So many people have recommended the show to me over the years. So many people are shocked that I've never seen it. And so I just, I get this feeling that it has to be really good at some point. Pilots are generally the worst episode to judge a show on, even though those pilots are typically what gets a show ordered. Pilots are babies. You know, the the show hasn't grown into what it's going to be. And so most television shows, if you go back and look at the pilot versus the series finale, they're going to be, look like two completely different shows because Mm. The characters haven't been fleshed out yet or fully developed. You don't really know what direction the stories are going to go in. And so I kind of feel like that's where I am with Parks and Rec right now. I'm looking at baby Parks and Rec, and I really want to see (laughs) how it grows up, even though I'm not sure I want to experience that growing up. I feel like it's pretty obvious that we're going to see a lot of Rashida Jones and Chris Pratt, even though Chris Pratt at this point, is not a series regular. I can't remember if he ever becomes one or if he just stays a guest star through the whole show. But, I mean, the pilot focused on them a lot. Yes, Leslie Nope was the focus, but they spent a lot of time with Rashida and Chris Pratt. Um, yeah, the, the, introduction, so the introduction of Anne always it catches me by surprise because it doesn't catch me by surprise. Uh, she's in the opening credits. 
So you're sort of, you know, you're expecting people to turn up. And then she's in the middle of the crowd in the meeting. And it's like, oh, okay, she's finally stood up after most of the meeting's gone through. You you kind of expected her in there sooner. And they're just trying to do it as like, oh, she's just a person who turns up and starts having a chat about things. Right. But yeah, it's really obvious that, oh, okay, the, the pretty one and all the makeup in the middle of them, she's going to be the one to come in and talk. I'm kind of feeling like my expectation is that this is going to be kind of like The Office was. The Office was originally set up to be a show that was more about Michael than it was about everybody else. But everybody ended up getting their own stories. You know, you got the whole Mm. Jim and Pam relationship. You get Dwight and Angela and his beet farm. And you you get beyond Michael, especially since, you know, Steve Carell eventually leaves the show. But it, (laughs) it evolves beyond just being about the original main character. And so I feel like with Parks and Rec, that has to happen too. This pilot episode is setting the show up to be about Leslie. But there are so many other characters that have popped up and you kind of get these little tidbits that I feel like we're eventually going to move beyond the Leslie Nope show and it's going to be more rich, more filled out and have lots more character development. At least that's what I hope. It it is definitely an ensemble show. Um, I don't think it's her, just about her, but she's the primary uh, protagonist, main character. Uh, I would say certainly for most of it, everyone gets their own, you know, the show, the show about Orby Plaza or something. But I would compare it quite a lot to uh, The West Wing, which is another show we're going to keep going back to. It's got a lot of, you know, a lot of different characters. It, I think it was originally supposed to be about Rob Lowe, Sam Zeborn, but very quickly okay. they realised he was the least interesting character. Um, so they brought everyone in and gave everyone, everyone much more filled out roles, and it's a better show for it. And yeah, uh, that's a good, a good example for Pox and Rec. Right. I, I do think that the pilot did make it seem like the Leslie show because mm. she she was the only one who spoke directly to the cameras for the mockumentary. Everything else just happened around her. And so it did feel very much like this was her story and that we're watching. How interesting. Because no, she's not. Everyone speaks to the camera. In the pilot? Yeah, Rashida Jones, Nick Offerman, I'm sure Tom Aziz Ansari got to. I'm not sure if Chris Pratt did. You know, I do remember Rashida. You know what? You're right. You are absolutely right. They did. But it's really interesting that that you only really remember her doing it because, yeah, she's the focus. She's the one who's on screen all the time with that smile. Yes. (laughs) With that smile. I will say the one thing about Leslie that I really liked. Okay, two things. Mm -hmm. One, she's very tenacious. She says she's going to get something done. She's going to do everything she can to get it done. That that's a great character trait, I think. It's more than a promise; it's a pinky promise. Exactly. That. That's so good. <laughs> that that childish, you know, sort of uh, optimism that she brings in. Lovely. And and that optimism is something that, while it is slightly annoying when you get just twenty one minutes of this optimism in your face, she did have a sentence that just really kind of spoke to me and that I wish it was something that, that more people would embrace. Uh, she was talking about people yelling at her. Mm. She said, so what I hear when I'm being yelled at is people caring loudly at me. <laughs> yeah. And I, I just think that's great. Most reasonable explanation. These are people who are passionate about the thing they're talking about. Um, I mean, they're not because they're talking about some weird things. And they're a guy who goes, let me tell you more about Laura Linney. 
But she cares about the community. She cares about the people, and she wants to do right by them. Right. That's, it's it's an interesting setup for a character because so often, um, you know, you're saying you're watching things with awful people. That's what writers go to as good comedy. You know, someone being snarky or giving that sort of thing because it seems to be cool, but it's actually quite refreshing to have someone who's really positive and, and go get them, and it gives you somewhere to go with them because they can achieve and you can be happy. Or they can face obstacles and you sort of, you emote with them and you see them overcome triumph or you feel sad when they get down. I would be interested to see where Leslie's character goes because I feel like she can't be that optimistic all the time for all seven seasons. There has to be some kind of character development, growth, some kind of struggles. I mean, obviously there are struggles because she's trying to get things done, but she's just staying so happy. Like, it would be weird to me if that's how she is the whole series. Yeah, and saying trying to get things done um, segues us nicely to talk about the story of Parks and Rec the pilot. Amy Poehler's a uh, proud feminist. Uh, she does a lot, lot of good for you know promoting women's rights, the success of women around the world, and just you know generally being a, a force for good. In this show, to get things done, she goes to Mark Brandanowitz. To, to ask him to help her out, and he's the one who comes on and gets her the sub, subcommittee and all of this. And that is a little bit of a feature of season one, uh, going to him to get help and, and that kind of... She has a bit of a crush on him, a bit of a thing for him. But you've not mentioned Mark at all. So uh, is his character not someone who stood out? Was it not something that interested you? Could, could you remember him at all? I couldn't remember his name. So that's part of why I haven't mentioned him, because I didn't want to just say that guy. <laughs> the the other dude, the one who didn't make us laugh or stand out. Right. <laughs> I did like him because he ended up being the best guy out of the guys that we met in the show. Mm. Because in the end, he wanted to help her. And he wanted to help her because she's trying to do a good thing. And like he said, he was burnt out after two months and she's been there for six years and she's still going. And so he recognizes that she's trying to do a good thing. But other than that, I don't really have much to say about him. No, and it's funny because, like you were saying, it's the Leslie show. But they have to give us this backstory of, oh, here's this guy she had a thing with and she still seems to have a crush on. It's like a locker room, so you've got to go in and joke with him. And strange to give her that kind of uh, external passion when there is this thing about the community and about what she cares for, uh, not a single person. So the plot of the pilot is uh, about Chris Pratt having hurt himself and this pit, and she decides that she wants to uh, help do something with the pit and eventually turn it into a park after she takes a tumble down into it. You know, when, when you're in the pit and you've got to look back up. <laughs> um, is it an interesting story? Is it a story we care about? No. <laughs> no. I agree. No. Yeah. No. I'm. <sighs> you you said mundane up top, and that's I I think your example to say it's not fantastical, but it is. It's really mundane. <laughs> it is. It's it's mund it's it's mundane almost to the point of boring. Mm. The only the only things that actually got a rise out of me were things that I flat out disagreed with or that made me angry, like. Chris Pratt. Oh, you're going to the kitchen. Can you make me some pancakes real quick? (laughs) No, that's not okay. Although it was funny that Amy Poehler chimed in on that too, but I I have, I have a note like that, but it just says breakfast food. 
the, the mundanity of the plot of the story is so unmemorable that mm. it makes it hard to talk about it, honestly, because except for the few places where I do remember getting a rise from something on the screen, it was very unmemorable. It was very 21 minutes of my life. Yeah. And all your notes are about the characters. There's not really anything about the situation. So uh, I talked about pilots going through a lot of development and back and forth and different writers working on it. Why did they write a story that has something so dull? Is it just because this is intended to be a character comedy? So that's what they focused on. And actually, let's just put in a plot that can sustain several episodes. Well, I mean, they had such critical success with The Office, and The Office is about selling paper. (laughs) Woo, paper! You don't get more (laughs) mundane than that. So uh, I don't know that there is some specific reason for this particular story other than this is a thing that a Parks and Recreation Department would do. And so let's do what they do. Yeah, I wonder if there was a uh, viewer, viewer focus session or something that fed back with, oh, we really find it quite funny that it's about such a boring situation. But they've got these funny people and it's, they tried to replicate that. Uh, but it takes a, a good while to come. And when I think about... I'm going to try and avoid spoilers, but when I think about things that will come up, they're all more ridiculous, less mundane, or, or more extreme at the very least. You know, not just single little things. It's like, oh, there's a big thing going on. Or there's something that really stands out. Like you said with The Office, you know, everyone's kind of turned up to 10 a bit. And it's uh, really, really random things going on, really stupid things going on uh, in a mundane environment. Right. So I know it sounds like I hate the show. <laughs> I haven't really said anything good about it. But I do have hope that it turns into something that I would enjoy. And so I am interested in watching more. I think uh, there's a benefit, again, because it's really short, so it's easy to get through them and to get into good stuff. Um, I also think that the comedy ends up being quite varied. You you watched The Office and you enjoyed... I think you've watched all of it? I have. And you like all the characters? What's your your thought on the uh, Jim turn to camera and raise your eyebrows? Oh, I love it. Okay. I do. That's one of the main sources of comedy, certainly from what I've watched in season two. But it's it's beautiful because they have this range of actors. You know, you put uh, Aubrey Plaza, who's quite deadpan, <laughs> up against Leslie Nope, up against Nick Offerman, up against you know a Chris Pratt when he's in it. They all do something slightly different with it to to you know an extreme reaction or a really contained reaction, but it's only for the camera or they're they're hoping the camera will just go away or something. Right. So that becomes a big thing. But there's a lot of um, situational comedy. There's a lot of pratfalls, you know, people falling over things or dropping things. Uh, so if you like a bit of slapstick, that's, that's in there for you. Well, I will say they tried to do that in the pilot with Leslie falling into the pit. And yeah. it did not work there. No, it's really hard. She takes quite a tumble. Okay, the reason that scene didn't work for me is because... No person in their right mind would have, one, decided to go into the pit for a fact-finding mission wearing a skirted business suit and high heels. <laughs> two, if they had decided to go down into the pit, they wouldn't have tried to walk backwards into the pit. And so there were just no smart decisions made in that moment. This comes back to your stupid comment, doesn't it? 
There's it no does. common sense. They're just they're just doing what seems right. The first thought that comes into their mind. But it wasn't funny. No. So it it's not really redeemable. Had the humor worked, it would have been better. Because I mean, watching people fall down is usually pretty funny. But in this particular instance, it just didn't work for me. Yeah, the people have got to fall down and then get up, or it's or you know do something comedic on the way. If they're just falling down somewhere where you know someone's broken two legs falling down, <laughs> that's you're, you're going to empathise with them and, and and hope they're okay. No, I'm going to call them stupid and hope they're okay. <laughs> so, having seen the puns that you came up with when you were watching this, did you say no person would go to the pit on purpose? I did not. That was not on purpose. <laughs> no one believed you. Everyone listening to this knows you had that planned. You had that written out somewhere on a post-it note. I am not note-to-note. quite cool enough. I'm not witty enough to come up with that <laughs> on the fly like that. So, a lot of the show isn't funny. Uh, arguably, none of it's funny. I'm going to talk about something that is funny. Nick Offerman. Uh, C.J. Craig is your spirit animal. Nick Offerman uh, might be my spirit guide. I think Paul Hollywood is my spirit animal. But but Nick Offerman, woodworker, all-round decent guy, but genuinely funny um, as, as a you know actual in, in real life person. When he gives an interview, he is very very smart with the situation he's been given. You know, people hold him up as this. Oh, he's such a man. Look at his you know good moustache and he's big bulky guy and he makes things out of wood he makes canoes and you know he's he's, uh, been a success and he's on TV and he's very straight talking about the way the world should be his reaction to that is yeah but I'm a namby pamby actor my 12 year old niece is a fire person she's more manly than I am and in this episode I think Nick Offerman is uh, given a good script is the first thing his comment about uh, you know I have a shotgun on my desk so that people who ask me for things have to look down the barrel of the gun (laughs) Yeah, but his delivery of everything when he's you know so completely deadpan, but what from other people would come across as stupid, but you can see he's thought about it. You know his thing about you know I don't believe in government, I don't believe in the parks de- department. That really bothers me mm-hmm. on a human level, or maybe it's just because I'm a silly American and government is just a, a hot button topic right now. It really just bothers me that he is in charge of a government agency and he doesn't believe in government. He doesn't believe that they should be making parks and maintaining parks. And that's his whole job. <laughs> and it bothers me that, yeah, that that's all I can say. I, I think it, part of it has to do with having a poor work ethic and I, I can't handle people who have poor work ethics. And that's what I see when I look at his character and I don't like it. And it's not funny. And I'm listening to myself talk, and I'm realizing I really am a buzzkill. <laughs> no, because, I mean, it is funny. You're wrong, first off. But, <laughs> <laughs> but they use it in a very funny way. Uh, I'm not going to give anything away, but some of the stuff at the end of season two from him is glorious, first off. But also, they develop his character very nicely along that. They, they, they keep that side of it. That never goes away, but they stop it with the hard political leanings. It's more about his uh, his position and what he wants to do. And then eventually, as I say, it sort of segues into not being Ron Swanson anymore and just being Nick Offerman. And he has a lot of the same uh, relationships and interests and personality that he actually has in real life. See, I feel like 
if I had come into this show in one of those season two episodes, I would be so much more on board than I am right now, which is weird coming from me because, you know, I like things in order, neat, proper, but I kind of feel like maybe I should go watch one of those episodes and then make my decision on whether or not I'm going to watch the whole thing. I I haven't talked much about the the uh, style of the show, it being a sitcom, it being multi-camera, but what's a good way of putting this? It's a sitcom, so the plot is not the most important thing. I mean, it's a character right. sitcom, so it kind of is. It needs something to support it structurally, but it's more about what setup can we give our characters to get the most gags per minute or the most laughs per minute. You know, when you think of the great comedies, things like Friends, Big Bang Theory, even MASH, whilst there are stories and characters go through a bit of development and, and growth, you can miss whole episodes and nothing really changes. You can almost miss whole seasons and nothing really changes with uh, some of them. Right. So my question for you then, do I need to watch season one to enjoy what you enjoy about season two? Do I need to go through any of that character development to understand why season two is so good? I think no, because of everything I just said, except (laughs) the finger in the air, except season finales of uh, sitcoms have character changes. The characters have to be put in, mm, peril's not the right word, but a crisis of some sort, so that you want to come back and see how they resolve it. Because, again, character comedy, you're supposed to care about them and want to see what happens to them. Right. So, season one finale does have a couple of changes and a couple of things that happen. But I would say you can easily watch the first episode of season two and it definitely catch up but at the very least go oh hey there's a joke there and it's funny it made me laugh <laughs> and i'm only two minutes in so it's all going to be all right i can go back and watch the first season after this one okay yeah okay so we've got to do that we've we've got a few things that i think i can put in the yeah you should watch it we'll, we'll discuss this again at the end of season two and see how it went i'm gonna add one thing in the column of don't even start and that's me being provocative, because we all like that. God, the final season of this show is terrible. It's really bad. <laughs> I had such that's high hopes. Cool. It was almost... No, it, it pretty much was the thing that got me started watching it. Everyone started going on about how amazing it was, how into the characters they were, how much they loved it. I'd seen a few episodes and gone, yeah, I really like that character, I like that situation. Oh, hey, it's Chris Pratt. I love Chris Pratt. Because um, he's hilarious all the time. But the final season is self-indulgent to the point of annoyance so if you really get into the characters you'll really enjoy it if you want to watch it for development and story oh it's rough and what do you watch it for aziz ansari no because <laughs> he's so pretty and he's fun <laughs> no um i watched it for the characters but i wasn't that in love with them that i needed a series that was just about the future of the characters Oh, I said series again. I needed a season about the characters. We should address this at some point, the fact that I keep saying series, because in the UK they're called... It's a series, not a season. I think <laughs> I think that enough British television is popular in America that we all know that. Okay, don't hold it against me. I mean, between Downton Abbey, Sherlock, and Doctor Who, I mean, I, I, think, I think we got it. We okay. understand. So, so you'll be okay with it when we come to watch Monty Python and uh, Red Dwarf? Oh, I'm not sure you should watch them. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we'll we'll see. Yeah. 
So it sounds to me like this is a show that I should give a chance to. And when I do that, we will have another podcast episode about it. Yeah, I think so. I think the second season will tell you everything you need to know about whether you should uh, keep on with it. And I think having liked The Office and a number of other shows that have similar sort of comedy, similar sort of actors or, or uh, setup, I think this is something you will get uh, a lot of pleasure out of. Okay. All right. Do we want to say anything else? Uh, I had one question for you about your thoughts on watching the pilot. You listed out 15 thoughts that you had as you, as you went through. And we, we've touched on most of them. You know, the fact that Chris Pratt is uh, a bit of a annoying what's it? That it feels like The Office. Your notes, six and seven, both just say, what? What? <laughs> so, that Mandy, I want to ask you, what, what? <laughs> that was my response to Tom in the town meeting. <laughs> yeah. Hitting on Anne while she's talking about her boyfriend with broken legs. So your boyfriend, he's a musician, he's a bit down and out. You have to care for him. So yeah. he's weak. He broke his legs. And then says, oh no, I'm not hitting on you. I'm married. But let's go away for the weekend. I mean, oh my god. What? <laughs> what, what? What? Yes. Yeah, Tom is not set up to be a likable person. Um, he, it, funny. Maybe, if you if you like that sort of humor, but, you know, it's not easy to like. One of the uh, great things about Parks and Rec is pretty much every character gets the opportunity to improv during most episodes. Um, and this was actually one of those scenes where I think part of it was scripted, him to start hitting on her and just going like, oh, hey, your boyfriend, blah, blah, blah. But then they just kept rolling because she just kept reacting and, and trying not to laugh. So he just then escalates and escalates, as, as good improv should do. And just commits to the bit and he starts going, you know, oh, no, I just like uh, connecting with people. You know, I'm comfortable with women, attractive women. I spend a lot of time with them. And, you know, I just feel like, you know, we're taking a lot of time. Maybe we should go out for dinner, go away for a weekend. (laughs) And you can see him just rattling off stuff off the top of his head. And that's very much a feature of every episode. Uh, Quite often they do it for the, the talking to the mockumentary cameras. So they have little cuts of them point, you know, pointing out, these are all the things you know, my mum did that annoyed me as a child. Here are all the things that people have complained about the park system. And you can see it's just them just coming up with silly things they did. I think there's one where Chris Pratt has to do the name of his band. And some of it's just the most ridiculous. I'll have to take your word for it for now. But it is, it is quite fun watching a show that uh, you, know, you can pick out and you go, oh, that wasn't in the script. I bet they've added that in. I bet that reaction wasn't supposed to be there. Uh, stuff like that. It didn't even occur to me that any of it would have been Im- improvised. And so now that I know that especially that scene was, my respect for Rashida Jones just went way up. <laughs> because she handled that like a champ. Yeah, it is a great character feature that she just calls him out on. She's like, wait, are you hitting on me? Like, oh, no, no, no. Backtrack, backtrack. Lads, backtrack. Get out of there. Um, and then she just ignores them and keeps talking about the pit. Yeah. To the person in charge. Um, right. But yeah, the uh, you mentioned up top that it's a multi-camera show. And one of the good things that they could do with that is they had cameras on most of the people in each scene so that they could react to the cameras at different times. So they couldn't re-film shots so often. You know, the, the single camera thing, if you film the scene one way, then you film it another way, then you film it again and again and again. Right. This was, let's just do a walk through the office and do it, and then let's film it again and see what happens to the scene the next time. 
so it takes a little bit more time in terms of the number of crew, but you're getting all the shots to, to the same thing at once. And they do a lot of that. Like I said, the, the, the gym turned to camera of, oh my God, did he just say that? <laughs> that I think that was one of my favorite parts of The Office. Well, Aubrey Plaza is probably the one that comes to mind doing it. I mean, everyone does it, but uh, she's just wonderful because <laughs> she's probably the most serious, sensible of them, although she's the youngest. They give her a lot of that kind of heavy lifting to do, which is great. Okay. I didn't get that out of the pilot, but maybe I will later. Her character is pretty much there, although I don't think she actually has any lines. Or if she does, she only has one or two lines. She did have a few lines, but I just I didn't like her because she was showing off the photos of Leslie and emailing them to people and <laughs> Yeah. I just didn't like her. I don't think I liked anybody in in this show. Other Not than even... Rashida Jones. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I think we're covered. So after this conversation, I have decided that even though I really did not like the pilot or any of the characters except for Anne, I do think I need to give this show another shot. Based on the things that Matthew has told me and what the rest of the world thinks about this show, I do think that it can become the kind of show that I will really like. So, so peer I, pressure, basically. Yes, peer pressure. <laughs> yes. Because you guys all suck. <laughs> so, Hey, look, there's I'm another TV do, show you've never watched. Go watch it now. <laughs> what I'm going to do is I will watch the first two seasons, and then Matthew and I will come back and talk about them, and then I will decide if I will watch the entire show. Does that sound fair? I can't hear you. Speak up, everyone. Good. That sounds fair to me as well. (laughs) All right. Well, we'll be back next week with another episode of Pop Culturally Deprived, where we'll talk about The Godfather. Until then, please remember to rate and review us on iTunes. If you want to get in touch, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Mandy Kay. And I'm at Matthew Vos. You can also email me at mandykay at popculturallydeprived.com or you can comment on this post on popculturallydeprived.com. Until next time, I'm Mandy Kay. And I would rather work for Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> I'm the English one. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm six foot and I have blue eyes. So, hey, how's it going? What? <laughs> what Did you really you just want? say hey? Okay, let me do my intro again. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Better? No. In the same way I've not seen 30 Rock, I haven't watched the American Office either. Oh, no, I'm going to say that again. Either. Hello. <laughs> Hello, Mary Poppins. Can Dobby be free now? Quite, quite a tumble. <laughs> doing, my, doing my Harry Potter again. <laughs> it's funny because I'm British. Hello. <laughs> Imagine if Giles had been like that. Hello, Buffy. Let's go kill a vampire, innit? Okay, I'll do my British accent in the background. Hello, miss. Can I have some more, please, sir?